How are you guys? Um, I think a video was supposed to play there to, to intro you guys, uh, what instruct you what you should be doing right now. If you don't already know, we've, uh, we're starting today a series on the Advent Jesse tree, ushering in the birth celebration of our, of our Savior Jesus. Um, and there's this amazing book that we've been talking about um, called The Advent Jesse Tree. And basically, we've taken, um, we've gotten permission, and we've taken the content of this, and we've put it on an app, um, on the Conduit Ministries app. And so if you have a phone, um, a smartphone, and you can download um, apps on your phone, you can download, um, it's called, just put Conduit Ministries, and you can download that, you have that. And once you get on there, you can do lots of different things, like give or uh, the Bible's on there, or um, our Facebook, our Connect stuff is on there, where you can sign up for an open house, um, to link to our website. But more relevant to this moment is the blog. The blog every day is, is, is posted on the blog, uh, the entry for that day, for the Advent Jesse tree. And we are actually right now, because it's December 6th, we're in day 6. So how many of you have been following along since day 1? Not bad, not bad. Okay, for the rest of you, hopefully you just got that instruction. Like, this is a great opportunity for you to follow. It's free um, under Conduit Ministries app. Uh, and you can actually do that right now. You have full permission to pull out your phone and, and, and download that um, if you've not yet done that. Um, you can also order the book. Um, it's called The Advent Jesse Tree, but we want to encourage you to use this because we'll be posting every day. Um, so in my attempt to try to make it extremely clear today, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I get muddled with thoughts, uh, specifically for Christmas. Um, sometimes we get lost in the chaos. Are you with me on that? Like, not just the chaos of what Christmas is or means or red cups or blue cups or whatever it is. Like, like maybe it's because of just busyness. Um, how many already, like, you've planned out your, your December like the rest of December to the point where you, you're like, don't touch my December. Like, I'm going to this work party here. I'm going to this family gathering on the 23rd. And no one better even call me on the 24th. Like, who's, how many of you have done that? Like, you've, you've kind of organized. You, you can admit it. That's a lot of you. That's a lot more of you than actually have followed along in this stuff. So at least you identify with the chaos and sometimes the, the complexity of the Christmas season. However... We want to introduce just 25 different things to you um, over the, ne <laughs> the next 25 days to kind of muddy that up a little bit more. No, honestly, we, we wanted to just take a moment um, on our Sunday mornings to highlight where we were at this week. And so if you were here this morning and you didn't raise your hand and said you follow along or maybe this is your first time here today, you're, you're in luck. We'll, we'll catch you up to speed. And before we do that, I want to pray and just uh, I want to also ask you to turn to Genesis um, chapter 27, if you could do that right now, and, and as we kind of bust through the first six days here, and we land on the final six days, or excuse me, on the sixth day, and um, each day is a symbol. Each day represents a promise. Each day has its own meaning, and it was its own event, and some of these events took Hundreds of years in the making. It was tragedy. It was moments of epic heroism. Moments of despair. Moments of 
I'm going to die. But in these moments, God had a bigger picture, a greater thing happening that ultimately was pointing to Jesus. And so that's our whole desire as we go through these, these days, these symbols for 25, day, that 25 days, that ultimately on the 25th day, we all know what that symbol is. It's the manger scene. It's when our, our Savior came to rescue us. But we believe strongly that, that everything in the Word ties together from, from Genesis to Revelation. And as we go through each day, and even in this moment, you're going to see how that all ties together. So you're in Genesis chapter 27. Why don't we pray? Excuse me, Genesis 28. Jesus, we love you. We praise you for, for who you are. And I just ask that right now. Um, when we feel alone, God, would you remind us of the truth that we are not alone? Would you remind us of, would you remind these people of the promise that they are not alone? That even in this moment, every breath that they're taking is a reminder that you have a plan and that all hope is not lost. God, I pray for the, the man or the woman in here that, that feels despair, isolation, even though there's people all around. I just ask that you'd minister to their hearts this morning as we dive into this idea of loneliness and this plan that you have through all the ages to remind us that, that you've made a way for us to be with you and that we aren't alone and that there is a, an impact on the relationships that you've put us in. As broken as they are, as broken as we are, God, would you remind us in this moment that ultimately you've come to have fellowship and communion with us. And God, even it's today as we celebrate communion, that it wouldn't just be a celebration of what you did on the cross for us, that it would be a celebration of the actual unity and the union that we have with you. And that we don't have to do this alone. That we have each other. We have this centerpiece, which is certainly bread and, and juice. But it gives us the picture that you are our hope and not someone else. Not something else. So Holy Spirit, I just ask this morning that you administer the, to the hearts of the people here today. And just pray these things in your amazing name, Jesus. Amen. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made light. The symbol for day one is light. The light of the world. The world that was created. The, the, the moments of how he created the mountains and how he created light and how he created darkness and how he created the, the seas and how he created the animals and how he created all the beautiful creatures. But then ultimately, he created you and me. And when he created Adam and Eve, there was this whole idea, even, even after he made beautifully and wonderfully made Adam, his first 
thing that he had labeled it, that all the mountains and all the trees and all the animals and all the, the oceans and all the lakes and all the ponds and all the valleys and every part of creation, and he was saying that it is good. And he said he created Adam, he said it is good. But then actually God says something right there that isn't good. And I never really realized this until I've, I was looking into it for this, this idea of the symbol is that God, for the first time, says something is not good. What does he say that's not good? He says it's not good that man is alone. And so he created a woman. And in this, he gave us this opportunity to live and to cultivate life and to know what the ultimate life and light was a reflection that God had given us this, to create relationship with us. He wanted to know us. He wanted us to know him. We walked together. We talked together. And everything was perfect in the garden. And the second symbol, day two, um, of our Advent Jesse tree was that Adam and Eve sinned. They took this opportunity to, 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 in pride to say, you know what, God? Your way is not better. We're going to choose our way. We're going to stiff arm you. And we're going to make our own choice. And they sinned and they fell and they broke that fellowship. But here's this, this beautiful thing, is that the, the first thing that they actually felt when they sinned, the first thing that they actually felt when they took a bite of the fruit of the tree, was they felt alone. They felt naked. They felt exposed. They felt isolated. They felt desolate. They felt forsaken. And in that moment, there's still, on day two of our Advent Jesse tree, there's this, there's this beautiful moment where God promises, even in that, that fallen moment, that broken moment, the moment where we say, God, I want nothing to do with, with, with everything that you're saying. Like, my way is better. And even in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, it promises that someday a Redeemer will come. And he will crush the one, the serpent, who, who actually is wrapped around this, what we thought was a promise through, through the knowledge of good and evil and through that fruit. And in that moment, that serpent's head will be crushed because of what will come through Adam and Eve. It was a promise that they again, someday, they will not feel that loneliness. They will not feel that forsaken feeling. Have you been there? Have you felt like so far from where you should be and could be that you felt forsaken? And just know that even in day three in our Advent Jesse tree calendar, this is idea that this whole thing is tied together in the thought that we are not alone. Day three of Advent Jesse tree the symbol is an ark with a rainbow. Now, since preschool, we've been hearing this, right? Preschool has been paying on every preschool. Well, most of them have this like whole wall painted with every animal you can think of. And it's typically like not painted that well. And the giraffes look like more like horses, even though they're painted like maybe you didn't go to a preschool like mine. Like it was, had this like look to it. But you got the point, right? That the ark, and then there's, like, the, all the animals are running out of the ark because they've been cooped up for so long. And in the background, there's this rainbow, this beautiful, this, this is like, this is how it should look, right? This actually looks really good. Um, I spent 
17 hours painting this. I'm just kidding, not at all. We have an amazing um, person named Ellen that, that painted all these. She's done an amazing job. But it gives this picture that, that in the midst of this tragic moment, that there's a promise. There's a promise. And like for it, what it, what it, what it meant for Noah, and what it meant for, for his family, and what it meant for those animals. Like, yeah, it was a promise that the world would not flood again. But there's a greater promise. The greater promise is that someday God would make a way for us to never die. He would make a way for us to be free. And that, that ultimately the ark that provided safety for them would provide safety for you and safety for me. Jesus would be that ark. And when danger came, when death and doom and judgment came upon the world in that moment, as tragic as it was, people think about how the world was destroyed, but how about the family that was saved, that by faith they came into this ark and they trusted the promise that someday God was going to send this promise through a person named Jesus. In day four, the camel in the tent is the symbol. And you have this understanding that, that as he called this man named Abram, and Abraham, they called him to, to go to a distant land. And what trust that would have, uh, that, that, that amount of faith that it would have required him to do what God had asked. He was, he was asked to be launched out into the deep, so to speak. To go through much, but in that remained a promise that through this symbol, that God's going to use this man to change the world. Not because of this man, but as a result of his obedience, as a result of his faith, God was going to use him to bless the earth. And it was this beautiful picture. Like even in this moment, when, when, like sometimes when you're called out by God to do something great and step out in faith, it feels alone. You feel like, who's going to go with me? What will my team look like? What will that feel like when I'm out there? That's immediately what we think. When God's asking us to step out in faith, we immediately have these lonely thoughts. And this was a promise from God to Abraham that he would never be alone. In fact, he says, look at the stars. That's how many kids, essentially, that you will have. And you'll be blessed by being the father of a nation and in this nation, this nation will, will represent a manger scene for the one that is to come. This, this country, this, this nation of Israel will be the, 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 the delivery room, so to speak, for the one who will ultimately save the world. It was a promise to him. On day five this week, we studied that yesterday, that Abraham begin to have these kids that God had promised. And, and here is, is the promise, is that, that the lamb that was sacrificed, the ram that was sacrificed was a promise that, that it, was a, it was a substitutional moment. That, that Isaac didn't need to die. If you know the story, it was basically that they, Abraham and Isaac, they had been called to go out to the place that God would show them and that they, they took wood and they took everything that they needed. And then, and then God says, I'm going to call you out to walk up to this mountain that's afar off. 
um, Mount Moriah, and I want you to go to the top, and I want you to make a sacrifice. And, and, and Abraham knew in that moment that that was um, his son. He had asked him to slaughter his son. Not because God is some sick God, and he was just trying to like play with his mind. No, he was testing him. But Abraham didn't know that. Like in that moment, he's like, are you serious? Like you're, but he's brought him so far through the promise that he trusted him. And as they walked up the hill, as they walked up to the top of the mountain, even Isaac, as a boy, says to his father, Dad, I have the wood, we, we've got everything, but where's the lamb for sacrifice? To show to God that our sins can be taken away. Where, where is this thing that will, will ultimately show God that it's going to be all right? And all Abraham respond, responded with was that God will provide a lamb. But yet shaking because he knew that God had asked him to sacrifice his son. And so it came time and he, 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 they took the wood and they, they put it on this, this altar and it was ready. And so um, there's many different, I love um, seeing the different Christian like attempts through movies or film to try to capture this moment and, and it almost makes me angry when I see like this moment of like he kind of tricked Isaac into being tied up so then he laid him and he tied him on the altar it was this moment of like as if he had to trick him when I read scripture it's almost as if Isaac completely understood and even as Isaac laid on the altar ready to be sacrificed and even as the knife came out by his father and that he was going to slaughter his son it's almost as if he trusted his Dad, because his dad trusted his heavenly dad. And it was this beautiful moment as the, the, not beautiful moment, it was this epic moment as the knife came up and Abraham was going to follow through in obedience. And in his faith, this voice from heaven yells out and says, Stop, don't touch your boy. And in that moment, there was this, there was this lamb, there was this ram that was caught in the thicket, and it was the, the ultimate sacrifice that would be the atonement. The, the, the replacement, the substitution for their sin. And you can imagine that moment, that awkward moment as Isaac climbs off of the altar and this embrace happens, but yet that embrace and even that awkwardness and even that brokenness meant for you and I that someday and in this moment that God would send the ultimate lamb to die for us in our place. That, that like it looked bad as if we were laying there ready to be condemned because of our sin. Ready to be separated from God for eternity. Like it made perfect sense because we know in our minds that we violated God's commands and we know that God is holy and we know that we are not. But even in that moment as we see the condemnation coming, we are promised that Jesus was the Lamb and we, we learn of the Gospel that He has come to save us. And He has come to say, whoa, 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 don't touch them. And Jesus lays. He is sacrificed. It's actually believed, I wasn't going to mention this, but it's actually believed that Mount Moriah, the very mountain where that took place, could have been the exact geographical location of Golgotha, where the ultimate lamb 
laid down on wood and was truly sacrificed as a substitution for you and for me in our sin. So the day six is the ladder. Day six is this, this, this physical representation of this dream that Jacob had. In Genesis chapter 28, let's read that. It says, let's start in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba, and he went to Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed there at night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, in his own mind, he was on his own journey to find a woman. He was lonely. He knew the promise was to find this woman, and in that pursuit, and in that journey, and in that moment of loneliness, he laid down, and he used a rock for a pillow. Seriously? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I know pillows weren't, like, Serta wasn't invented yet, but really a rock? Like, I can't even imagine the pain the next morning that he would have in his neck. But yet, maybe there was pillow rocks in, um, in that moment there, in, on the way to Heron. But, um... In that, says that he dreamed. And behold, verse 12, and behold, there was this ladder that was set up on the earth. This is in, in Jacob's dream. That at the top of it, it reached heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood, and he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you, will, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you your offspring shall be all, or shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. This is it. This is the point. Right here. Is that behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob woke up from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up, and he set it up for it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give bread to eat and clothing to wear. What was Jacob's pursuit? So here we are, we're at day six, and every promise has to do with this idea that we are not alone. And everything that happened had like big consequences, literally from the world to the world to the world to the world to the world. And in this moment, it throws in this, this ladder. And here he is, he lays down in his loneliness. 
And God comes to him in a dream, and he shows him this ladder. This moment of these, like God is at the top, he is at the bottom. He is broken. He is lonely. He is in a desolate, forsaken place. Wondering, what am I doing? But in that promise, God is at the top. And even in that dream, I can imagine his, his, like, his mindset that, okay, how do I get up there? But what he saw was these angels that says that they were descending and ascending. They were coming up and down. It became a highway for God to come. And this was a promise for us. This was a promise for the world. But this for Jacob in that moment was a promise to him that he wasn't alone. And when, even when he, awoke, when he woke up, the promise was that he wasn't alone. And God's saying that I will be with you. This is a time of year that's difficult for people um, for lots of reasons. Maybe there's pain and maybe there's hurt. Maybe there's been death. Maybe it's just simply, I know not this winter, but it's the snow, it's the, it's the season. And depression creeps in and hope fades and our heart sinks and people seem to fade away and there we remain feeling alone. At the heart of depression, at the heart of discouragement is this fear or even reality that we're alone. Now, alone is not like solitude. I mean, like, it's, it, it can be called that, but like, you know what I'm talking about. It, you could be in a, a room full of people, but yet still feel alone. Do, do you want me to, to give you the definition of, of, of lonely? No, you don't. You don't need me to give you a definition. You know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. It's like if, if I said, do you want me to give you the definition of pain? You'd be like, no, that's silly. Why would you even waste your time trying to define pain? I know what pain feels like. We know what it feels like to be alone, even in a room full of people. And for Jacob, in that moment, he was promised that not only was he not alone, but that God was going to use this broken man that felt forsaken to change the world. That through him, the world would be blessed. And that is the promise for us today. Um, I was at a, a junior high retreat this weekend, speaking, and uh, <laughs> uh, Lots of awkwardness in that room. Um, I love junior hires because um, they're in this spot where they're not, they're, they're, they're like right before, like they're too cool for school, um, but they still like, they're hilarious because they're just, they're kind of like the rest of us. They're just awkward and they kind of just, they, they, they're going through like this transition stage that, that is just like when you put them all together, it's like this amoeba crazy group of people. Um, and in this, um, uh, yesterday, um, 
we were playing this, um, we were in the gym, and we were playing these several, these crazy games, and um, the guy that was leading the games said these words, and all of a sudden, like, the room, the entire gym went from having fun, having a blast, laughing loud, to silence and anxiety in everyone's heart suddenly, and he said these words. He said, again, we're playing games. He says, okay, everybody get a partner. Can you identify the anxiety that came? They just needed one. Like, it's not that hard. Like, okay, find a part. Okay, one. Okay, cool. But there was this, like, and I watched. I wasn't actually in that game anymore. I was on the side catching my breath, trying to get some oxygen from dodgeball. And I'm watching this awkward exchange as every single teenager felt insecure. Like, what if I'm not picked? What if I, what if everybody has a partner? What, even though, like, it's just one person. To one person, what if everybody has somebody and I'm left standing on the side alone and everybody turns with their partner pointing at me and laughing? Ha ha ha, they got nobody. We can all relate, right? We're afraid to be alone, we're afraid to not have somebody. Even being married or even being in a room full of people, even being in a church, even being at a, at a, at a workplace that you love or, or in a, surrounded by hundreds or dozens or even just a few people, like you can still feel that same feeling of being alone and missing out on the greater picture of community. Missing out on this, this whole thing that God has put inside of us to have communion with one another, to have relationship with one another. It's something that he's planted inside of us that, that each one of these, these, these people experienced. And in that loneliness, it's crippling. I can't even describe it other than you know what I'm talking about. And for these middle schoolers experiencing that just for a few seconds, it, it stood out to me. This is exactly how we can feel when we are depressed. This is exactly when we, what we feel when we have given up hope. Like it's not really about the circumstance, is it? It's not really about no money in your bank account. Hear me on this. It's, it's, it's not really about losing your home, losing your friend, not having that person ever get back to you. It's not about losing your job. It's not about your husband's eyes and where they wander. It's not really about how you're going to look at your 30-year high school reunion. It's not about that. It's about being alone. It's in that moment where we feel, even, even though it may not be a reality, when we've lost that, when we've lost something, here we stand on the edge of the circle, alone. Jacob felt it. Abraham felt it. Isaac felt it. Noah felt it. Adam and Eve felt it. See, there's something greater happening that God has sent his son to be with you. 
he is here. He is here. He has inhabited our lives, our bodies through his Holy Spirit. He's allowed us to have communion with one another, to experience community, to experience relationship. The ultimate promise that we are not alone in this world. The ultimate promise that hope remains. He is here. So let's talk about this ladder. Um, <laughs> if you know me at all, you know that I am terrified of heights. Um, but I find myself constantly being in situations where, like, I should have bought a ranch house that had, like, a flat roof and, like, a whole, like, wheelchair ramp that went up to the roof so that I never have to feel that feeling of climbing a ladder, and, and especially an old ladder. And so recently I, um, <laughs> I had a ladder that I borrowed from a friend, not this ladder, and I needed to get on my roof. And I put it on my roof, and I put it at the bottom. But what I didn't know, what I've, my inexperience uh, will tell you, is that I didn't anchor the bottom. And, and so I'm like, I'm good. I'm like standing on the bottom wrong. I'm jumping. I'm like, dude, I got this thing. It's up there. I'm like kind of shaking already, but I got a, I got a job to do up there, and I'm, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to be good. And then I'm going to come back down, and I'm going to kiss the ground, and it's going to be good, right? So I get, I get halfway up there, and I notice that the, the ladder is kind of sagging a little bit. I'm good, though. It's, 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 it's not going to break, seriously, right? So I'm up there. I'm up on the actual roof. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do up there. I'm cleaning things off. I'm, 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 I'm almost done. And then suddenly, at the top rung of this ladder, my foot is, is there just kind of like I'm on the roof, but my other foot's there, and there's weight on it. And all of a sudden, I realize like either like the house is moving or the ladder is moving. And I notice that as all my weight is on this, the ladder starts to slide off of the roof. I'm not even kidding you. This was like terrifying. I hate heights. Like I'm not even that high, but it's terrifying because I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. And I've fallen off the roof before. You can ask my wife, uh, like when I start talking about like Christmas lights on the house uh, about 10 years ago, you can just ask her. That's is a terrifying story. She walked out and I'm like laying in the backyard, just like moaning and groaning because I, I fell off the roof. But um, so I've got a history of this. But as I'm at the top and this thing's sliding, literally what had happened was it was kind of on the bottom of it, was kind of on a hill and it was kind of a little bit muddy and it, and it started to slide because some doofus didn't anchor it and it, it slid about four feet and it somehow, some way, it stopped on like the end, here's the ladder, it stopped on the end of the gutter. Terrifying. I'm shaking. Like, literally, I'm on, like, one leg, and I'm, like, holding on with my hands on the roof, and I'm hanging off, and here's the gutter, and I go, Brian! I'm, like, started yelling for my wife, Brian! I'm not patient. I'm not, like, pausing. I just get, Brian! I just keep yelling. Here she comes out, and she sees me, and she's like, honey, your leg was, like, literally, like, shaking. She's like, you were so scared, and, like, just by your voice. You know what she did? She laughed at me. She laughed at me, like right up there, all exposed, like everything, like hanging out. I'm like, like shaking. I'm getting ready to die. And she's laughing at me. 
So she stands on the anchor of the, the bottom of the ladder, and I climb down, and she rescues me like a cat that was stuck in a tree. Thankfully, that was this amazing moment where I realized, you idiot, you need to anchor the ladder. Climbing the ladder is not hard work. It's easy. It's like one step after another, right? And we can try climbing that ladder, but we realize that once we get to the top, that it doesn't actually bring us to this, like, fulfilling moment. And, and like, whether it's the Tower of Babel or whether it's the ladder in this moment, like Jacob's first thought in that dream had to have been, as he lays there and as he's looking up in this dream and he sees God at the top, he must have thought in his dream, how do I get there? i got to climb. This is no, like that may not have been his response. I'm just, that's my imagination. That's not in the word necessarily. I'm just kind of trying to put myself in his spot. But what has happened in our society, in our life, and even through the scriptures is it, is it shows the lives of these people. They've done that. They, they've, they've, they've seen, like, loud and clear. Okay, God is up there, and I'm down here. I must climb the ladder. And so they attempt to do this through good works. They try to do this by, by their actions. They try to do this by how much they give or how much they help people or how nice they are. This is huge. I mean, literally, if you, if you were to ask people on the street, about heaven or about God or whatever, and they begin to talk to you about how their life has been. Or if I just do this and this and this, then God, I mean, he surely wouldn't send me to hell. Like, I, I surely would, would deserve to be with God if, if I've done all, like, if I've climbed the ladder. But what you realize at the top of the ladder is it didn't actually fulfill what you were going after. And did, did God give him this dream of a ladder so that it could show Jacob, that it was like that there was a step by step process to get to God? No. I almost feel like God should have gave Jacob a dream about a slide. Because it almost gives this idea that it was it was God came down the ladder to Jacob. He sent his son Jesus. And it's not even just this moment where we realize, okay, thank you, God, you're going to send Jesus down the ladder. And you're like, you're, I got it, I got the bottom. Come on, you, you can send him on down. And I'll, nothing happens. And then you realize, as you stand at the bottom of the ladder, that Jesus is the ladder. That this symbol is Jesus. The ladder is a symbol for Jesus. It's God's way of showing us not only that we are not alone, but that we now, because of Jesus, the promised Redeemer that is to come, that because of Him, we now have access to God. We can now have access to a holy God because of Jesus, not because of the process. Not because of how we climb or how they climb, but because of this very thing that has bridged the gap between God and man. Promised an uninterrupted communion with God. 
It's this beautiful moment where in that communion and in this moment as we celebrate another symbol, the symbol, the big one that's behind me on the wall, we see that, we see that uh, Jesus was broken for us. And we see that his blood was poured out for us. And we eat that as a remembrance, as a reminder of what God did for us. That he didn't just come near for a moment. That he didn't just come near for 33 years and then just ascend back up the ladder. No, no. He is the ladder. He is the one that's brought us near to God because he is God. God is here. God came near through the manger, through all of these symbols. You see, when we're at the top of the ladder and we try to climb, we have, in this attempt to climb, we're consumed, we're busy, we're pursuing, we're made to hunt things, we're made to earn things, we're made to like try to climb ourselves. But as it's consuming us, what we find is that even though we've been climbing, we're still at the bottom. And maybe, like, I know, again, this is, this is a season where it's hard for you. It's a season where you're discouraged and, and you lack hope. You're like, I don't, give a, I don't care about your ladder, man. I don't care about these symbols. Like, you don't know my situation. You don't know the hope that is now gone, that I feel at night. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what it's like to deal with what I deal with. Can I promise you this? Is that, like, we'd all agree, like, you're at the bottom of the ladder. You're at the bottom rung. Like, maybe even laying at the ground because you actually did fall off the roof, so to speak. Can I just tell you that, that there's <laughs> Jesus, he's at the bottom of the ladder with you. And if, if, if Jesus is the symbol, if Jesus is the ladder, you're at the feet of Jesus. And if you're at the feet of Jesus, it won't take long that you will soon be at the face of Jesus because he stoops down even lower to meet you where you're at. So this morning, we receive that. And we see that at the feet of Jesus, and at the, at the moment in the presence of his face, he stoops to see you even in this moment. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what you've done. He knows what um, has been done to you. But yet he's present. If Christmas is anything, it's to celebrate that Jesus came so that we're not alone. It's that he's come to celebrate that we don't have to climb ourselves. There's this moment, um, I'm not going to show it, I thought about it, but I'm not going to, this moment in the movie uh, Christmas Vacation. Um, Clark Griswold, I'm finding that uh, my life is matching way too up, too similar with Clark Griswold. Um, 
but there's this moment where, actually two moments, where he's trying to put these Christmas lights on his home uh, in a very similar fashion to me, being a doofus and not anchoring or not doing what he should safety-wise to, to make sure that he's good. And as he's at the top of this ladder, um, he's stapling the Christmas lights. And in that stapling, he actually staples his sleeve to the gutter, like right under the gutter. And then he keeps going, and he's like, he realizes this moment. He's like, oh, okay, I just like pull, like he doesn't panic. Like he's consumed, and he's busy trying to just fix, and trying to work through it. And and, and so like he eventually (laughs) yanks so hard that his entire sleeve like rips off. It's this hilarious moment. And then because of that, like, he stands up on the ladder. I'm not going to do it, but like it's this idea that he stands up and he's like, oh, we're good. And then he realizes now he's falling straight backwards. <laughs> so he falls back and he literally about at this point, he hits a tree. And then he hits the tree, but he doesn't even hesitate. He's just like has this calm look like, oh, I'm just going to roll with the punches. And he kicks himself back off the tree and now he's going back onto the house and he lands on the and as he lands on it he falls behind the ladder and then he's like kind of like trying to figure out like how he's going to get back on the other side so that he can climb down and then the scene ends but what I've noticed in this this scene is that his face doesn't change like he's he's not like yelling for his wife he's not yelling for a rescue he's marching through the difficult process as if it's going to be fine it's not going to be fine for him I mean, if that happened in real life, he would have not landed on a tree. And if he did, he would have went, pew, man, what? Like, the whole idea is that he remained calm. And I'm not telling you to remain calm. I'm telling you to get down off the ladder and understand that there's no way that you can climb that. Jesus has made a way for him to be here. God has made a way for Jesus to be here so that we don't have that, feel that need to earn it. It's the gift of God. It's not how it works. So that we don't boast. It's not like saying, hey, check it out. Like, I can climb so fast that I can get closer to God than you. No. So we don't boast. It's so we understand we have this common bond. Is that even in the moments where we have communion, we're, we're like, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but like, if you've ever been invited to take communion, and you're like, ah, I don't know. I'm new here. I don't know. Ah, just, No. Understand that this right here is a celebration of what Jesus has done for you. Not because of how good you've done it. Not because how hard you've worked. But because of the Savior who's given his life to die for you. He's given his life to give you a life. An eternal life. And this is the celebration. The promise of God that we are not alone. A constant reminder that we can now have communion with God. This moment when these junior hires um, instantly were scared of being alone. And, and, and that's actually the stage where they begin to, like, like maybe even before that, where they, they have to have a boyfriend or they have to have a girlfriend. It's that same feeling. And then they, they begin to run th- to things that consume them. And, and it's almost as if they're busy and they're not panicked. Even they roll with the punches and everything's like they're working through it. And then a lifetime has passed and they've missed that the thing that will actually fulfill them, the thing that will actually tell them and speak to them 
and whisper to them and remind them that they are not alone. That is, it's Jesus. It's not something or someone. But Jesus has given us this gift called the church to remind us that we're not alone. And for me personally, at Conduit, um, Conduit's been an amazing reminder to me that, that we are not alone. To hear your stories, to have a relationship with you, to see how God works in your life, to see how God is working through the brokenness. It's a reminder to me that I'm not alone. It's a reminder to me that this can be a place that God has set up, not because of the walls, it's certainly without walls, but the idea of church. The church is plan A, and there's no plan B. He wants you to experience on earth the promise that you're not alone. So we do this through open house. We do this through coming to church. We do this through, last night we were here, and we did... um, we had a, a night of worship and, and testimony and hearing people's uh, stories, um, many that are interesting but all fascinating to the point that they can share with the group, the people here, that they aren't alone. They felt accepted when they walked in the door. They felt like they can work through the stuff that they're dealing with, that they can process with, and it doesn't just distract them for a lifetime, but they know the source of hope, the source of not being alone is this ladder is Jesus in their life, and they get to share that with one another. I want to challenge you that the cure for loneliness is not people. And the cure for, for loneliness is actually not even Jesus. The cure for, for loneliness is a relationship with Jesus. Because we can know about Jesus, we can know of Jesus, we can even know what he can do. And we even maybe know people that, that, that he's worked in their life. But it's that relationship that you have with him. The understanding that he meets you. He didn't just meet you where you're at to judge you and to, to, to leave you there. In fact, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And in that promise is that he will be with us. In us. Living through us. Pouring in life constantly to us. The whole idea of blood, like without being too graphic, it's this idea that the blood left the body of Jesus. And, and blood is literally the, the life source that means like that you're, that you're alive. And that life left him to give you life. And in this church, we get to celebrate this together, not just in a form of, of this but in the form of this. Where we get to have relationship in you, in your home, in you, in your church, and in you, in your community, in your workplace, and in your life, in this Christmas. Stepping outside your own woe and your own stuff that you're dealing with. And stepping into others. Let me just challenge you. Maybe there's somebody that you know that you know they're alone. Or they feel alone. They feel hopeless. You're their promise that they're not alone. Like, like literally, there's all these symbols to remind us that we're not alone, but you are that, that symbol to that person. 
The reminder that the promised Redeemer has come to save them. And now He's living in you and through you. You get to be that person for them. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and would you just... I want to invite you to ask God this question. God, would you remind me in this moment that I'm not forsaken? Would you remind me in this moment that I'm not alone? God, would you remind me in this moment that you are here? God, would you also remind me in this moment that as Jacob felt hopeless and helpless, that he actually in that dream, actually in that life, became a blessing and means of salvation to the entire world. And by that, he realized he wasn't alone. God, as we go into communion, would you just bring to mind the people in our life you send in in our path, you bring to our mind, I feel alone. And would you let us be a symbol to them because of your power and your strength that they are not alone. That the promise remains that you've come and that you are here and that you are alive in that moment when, when the world is screaming. Everybody get a partner. That yeah, it's you, Jesus. Like ultimately you've come, you are that ladder. But also would you remind us that through people and through relationship and through community, this can happen. And we ultimately will be reminded that we are not alone. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. It's a simple truth. But may we be forever changed because of it. Because all of a sudden, when, when that moment happens where, where the world is saying, get a partner, everybody get a partner, we realize that we don't have to feel this anxiety, this, this desolate, forsaken moment, but that we now have you, and we now have one another, and we now have this point where we get to celebrate communion with God, and we get to celebrate communion with one another. You to us and us to them. And may we even celebrate it in this very moment. That his body was broken for us. And his blood was poured out for us. Church, Dan, would you join us up front? You can make two lines.